you have your Bibles, you can go to the Gospel of John chapter 6. I have a lengthy reading, uh, but it is all sort of one passage that makes sense today. Again, I give honor to this awesome, awesome group of volunteers and this wonderful church. I'm believing that next weekend is going to be a great weekend for us. And what a beautiful crowd there is here today. Thank you so much for being in church. This is just awesome. I'm thankful for it. John chapter 6, verse 52. We have a moment of contention where Jesus really challenges the people that are there in the setting. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying of Jesus, How can this man give us flesh to eat? Because of the words that Jesus had spoken prior. Then Jesus explains, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now that is a hard saying to hear because he was just saying, I'm the bread of life. And now he's saying, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. These are the words of Jesus. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth flesh and drinketh my blood, eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. That is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your Father did eat manna and are dead that he that eateth of this bread shall live forever these things said he in the synagogue he taught them in Capernaum many therefore of his disciples when they heard this check out what happened said this is a hard saying who can hear it when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it he said unto them does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend upon where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore say I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. So this is just tough. This whole thing is just tough. And check out what happens whenever things get tough. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. See, Jesus preached commitment and he lost those that weren't committed. But Jesus turned to the 12 and he said, will you go also? Those disciples that followed him the closest. Will you go also? Then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, son of the living God. Even when everybody else was walking away, Peter turned and he spoke for those that followed him the closest. And he said, Lord, where else will we go? For a few moments, I want to preach on this topic. No plan B. There's no plan B. 
Would you just pray with me? Jesus, we love you and we thank you, God, for what we've already felt in this room. Your spirit is so real. And I pray that today that the convicting words of this scripture would begin to draw people closer, closer than they've been before, God. I pray that even within myself, God, there would be an, uh, an openness, God, to hear the word for what it is. God, these are not my words. These are not the words of a preacher. These are everlasting, living words that were spoken and written by you and those that followed you closest. So I pray, God, let faith be in this room. Let there be an openness, God, to hear and to respond to your word in the name of Jesus, I pray it. And everybody said amen. You can be seated. Thank you for worshiping. Where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go, Jesus? You see, everybody else in that moment, besides those 12 that followed him the closest, it seemed that they had a convenient exit. All of those that were there that day that even called themselves disciples, not those that were only already on the outside looking in as critics like the Pharisees and those that were in the synagogue, but even those that would have called themselves followers or disciples of Jesus, the majority of them heard the words when Jesus said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And when they heard this saying, the scripture says that they took their convenient exit. They took their easy way out. They ended up stepping away as soon as they could find an escape route. And unfortunately, I think that in this day and age, we tend to want to follow Christ in a similar way. If we're not careful, it's easy to love being a part of the church when it's popular. It's easy to love being a part of the church when it's easy. It's easy to read the parts of the Bible that we like to read the most, but as soon as we start getting into those tough-to-read, tough-to-hear moments, we tend to bail out and look for an easy exit door. When you look around this room, there is a very obvious place that you would go if there was an emergency. I'm going to just play the role of a flight attendant for a moment. And I appreciate all of you that are here in our exit rows in the very front. You've got a little extra leg room, but if it comes down to it, we're going to need you to understand that there are exits to the left and to the right. And there are exits in the back, and there are exits all the way, all the way back here. And, and if it's really bad enough, I'll just jet out this exit door that y'all can't even see, and I'll meet you out front. We understand that any place, any building, any, any modern building that you would go into, there is always a mandate for there to be an easy exit in case there is an emergency. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that people are constructing their walk with God in a very similar way. They end up building some sort of faith life that says as soon as things get difficult, I can make an escape route. Can I tell you, I've seen this happen over and again far too many times with individuals who step into, into the church and they start making, uh, start making some strides toward God. But what they don't do is they don't do what Jesus said and that is forsaking all others in order to follow him. And what happens is instead of just deleting that number out of their phone, they keep that number in their phone. Well, I won't text them. I won't call them back. 
But as soon as things get difficult or you get your heart broken or you don't understand a hard saying from the word of God, we have a tendency to run back to mama. You know what that means? That means we go to the most comfortable place that we can find when things get uncomfortable. And so for some of us, that might be a bottle that's full of alcohol. For others, that might be a specific or particular person that we can call and they can get us the supply that we need in order to feel better and we go back to that drug or that thing. For others, it might be an unhealthy relationship, the affirmation of that man or that woman or whoever it might be on the other side of that screen of your phone. For others, it might be that just finding a little bit of escapism in some entertainment or a trip away. And again, you all know that I'm not against a healthy vacation. I'm not against these types of things. But how many knows that we live in a day and an age in a culture where if you want to get high on entertainment, you can get high on entertainment. You can live your life in an alternate reality. And there's many different venues that you can use in order to make that happen. But what I do love is when I see somebody walk in and they take that phone and they get rid of every single number, every single thing. And they say, man, I can't go back to what I used to be. And I know that if there's a bad day and I'm tempted in the wrong way, that I might end up falling back. I might end up literally what the scripture said about those disciples there that day is that they literally went back to that place that they used to be in. I'm just here to tell you, I want to set my life up today where there's no way that I can ever go back to what I used to be. I'm in, both feet in, 100%. I don't have any desire to go back to what I used to be. And you know what? Even when I do have a desire to go back to what I used to be, I want it to be that when I turn around, I have made it so inconvenient for myself that I can't just slip out an exit door of this faith walk that I have. But I've got to walk over the relationships that I've built. I've got to walk over the responsibilities that I put on my shoulders. If you leave the church, it ought to be difficult. It ought to be hard to walk away from Jesus. It ought to be that you have to look some people square in the eyes and say, I don't believe this anymore. I don't want this anymore. You see, there's some individuals that they like to stay just close enough to the church that if they take the exit door out, nobody actually knows whether or not they're gone or just on one of those extended periods where they leave and then come back and then leave and then come back. And get a little, they, they hear me preach and they feel a little bit better. I'm just telling you, that's a plan B kind of life. Or yeah, I want to serve God, but, 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 but if this works out, if the right job opens up, if that person calls that I've been waiting to call, or to call me, or if that opportunity happens to avail itself to me, I'm just telling you, I can't be so in this that it actually makes things inconvenient for me. But when Jesus turned away from the majority and looked back at the 12, he said to them, you going to leave too? And I love the answer that Peter gave. He said, Lord, look at us. Where else are we going to go? We're so deep in this thing that it's too late. Like we don't have anywhere to go back to. Everybody else, they had places, they, but 
We've been following you so closely that you understand that it would actually be more inconvenient to leave than it would be to stay even after you said what you just said. Think about that for a moment. That Peter and the other disciples were so close to Jesus that it would literally have been more inconvenient to leave than it would have been to stay even when Jesus was preaching commitment at the deepest point that he had ever preached it in his ministry. You see, when Jesus preached commitment, he knew fully that he was going to lose people. And there's moments that you and I, we preach commitment with the lives that we live or from behind a pulpit or wherever it is. And you've got to understand that when you preach commitment, you know who you're going to lose? The uncommitted. When you preach commitment, those that don't want to commit, they're going to get very uncomfortable. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we live in a 21st century Americanized Christianity where there are buildings full of people who are absolutely fine with their preacher not ever preaching commitment. They'll show up every couple of Sundays. They'll come in. They'll drop some money in the plate. As long as they can get a convenient enough form of Christianity, they're good to go. But as soon as the conviction sets in they start getting uncomfortable and so pastors and preachers the scripture said it would be true is that they would heap unto themselves those with itching ears I'll scratch that itch I'll preach it a little bit more convenient and when you preach commitment in a setting like that you're going to lose the vast majority of people that are uncommitted but here's the thing I've heard it said if you don't preach commitment you lose those who are committed Because somebody who has a spirit of wanting to be committed, they want to lean into it. They are desirous, not that they always understand it, but there's something in them that says, God, I didn't show up here to wade in the shallow. I didn't show up here so that Pastor Devin could just bring a patty cake message every Sunday and make me feel a little bit better. And that doesn't mean every Sunday Jesus preached, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. There were a lot of parables in there. And so there needs to be a balance in the ministry. But at the end of the day, you better get ready because there's going to be a moment where where you hear a voice from heaven begin to speak to you and it says it's time to go deeper it's time to go further than you've been before and when you hear that you've got to shake off carnality and you've got to say God I got into this thing so that I could be as close to you as I've ever been before so whatever I've got to give up whatever weight I've got to throw off whatever sin I've got to put under my feet and in my past I will put those things away because the committed love to hear Commitment preached. The committed love to hear commitment preached. And so guess what I'm preaching today? I'm preaching a little bit of commitment. I'm preaching to somebody that says, hey, preacher, there's no plan B here. I know that you're not perfect. Pastor Devin, I know you're going to make mistakes and fall short, but I'm not a member of Stello Church because I think you're perfect. I'm a member of this church because I believe that God has called me here for such a time as this, and we're going to see ministry. We're going to see revival. We're going to see miracle signs and wonders. And so I'm not standing on the edge. I'm getting in the middle of this thing because I just happen to believe God's about to do something spectacular and I don't want to be on the outside looking in. I want to be ready for it. I think there's some committed people at Stello Church that are saying, I'm ready for it. I've been feeling the tremors of revival for several weeks, but it's time for it to go beyond just the Sunday service experience. I want to see it in my neighborhood. I want to see it in my family. I want to see it in my personal prayer. Yeah, that's what I want. I want that. 
And you know why, why the disciples of Jesus had no plan B? Because their, their leader, Jesus Christ himself, had no plan B. He didn't have a plan B. He had no way of escape. In fact, there was a moment. And listen, I'm not preaching against you today. I hope it doesn't sound like that. I might be rubbing up against the flesh and the carnality side of all of us. But even Jesus had a moment where it came, where he was on the cusp of that place called Calvary. And he said, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Now, his desire to step away was almost the opposite of ours. Because he was about to present his flesh as a living sacrifice. You and I, when we put our flesh on the altar as a living sacrifice and give up our sin, we feel that same, that same pushback. I don't know if I'm willing to give. But even in that moment, he had this prayer, which I think should always be the prayer of the committed. Nevertheless, thy will be done. What happens when God brings you to a place where you're very uncomfortable? I'm praying for Raquel today. I want you to know that. And I want you to also understand that the sicknesses that people face and the, the trials that people face. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel that says if you're in trial, that means that you're not in the will of God. No, God even takes his own children through the trials and the struggles of life. But here's notice the first part. God takes his children through. So you're going to make it no matter what. And so here's what I'm saying is somebody, we got a precious leader in this church that's laying in a hospital bed today trying to figure out, God, what is your will and your purpose? I think we've all had moments like that, whether it's in a hospital bed or on the other side of a great loss or an issue that we are facing where we're trying to figure out what is the will of God. And in those moments, it would be very tempting to look for an exit door. Say, God, I don't understand what you're doing, and every time I try to think of it, it gets me so existential, so cerebral, so in my own head, that I start freaking myself out. And I'm going to be honest with you, Lord, if I could just get a little bit of an exit door, whether that means some carnality, or that means completely leaving. Where I don't have to think about this anymore. Or some people get so bitter at God that they find that exit door and they start to walk away. And we have all been there where we feel the temptation to walk away and to just leave what feels like such a burden to us. And Jesus, even Jesus was in that moment and he prayed that prayer. Nevertheless, thy will be done. And so I'm speaking to somebody who's laying in a hospital bed right now, very literally. And I'm speaking to some people in this place that maybe figuratively you feel like you're in a similar place you ought to have a bottom line a common denominating prayer that it comes down to this that even when I'm at my worst even when I don't understand what Jesus is saying even when it feels difficult and frustrating nevertheless thy will be done I'm speaking that over my life and I'm speaking that over your life today nevertheless you see, Jesus had no plan B because he was not God's plan B. Oftentimes, there is a misconception in Christianity that Jesus, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, was a plan B of God. Think about that. Adam and Eve sin, sin enters into the world. God begins to ponder. <clears throat> Wrong. Stop right there. God never pondered. He never wondered. All right, somebody call Gabriel. Let's get these angels in here. Fellas, we got an issue down on earth. Didn't happen. The scripture makes it very clear that God is all-knowing. Amen? He knows the scripture says the end from the beginning. 
He understood that the world would be laid out the way that it is laid out. Now, if you can explain that to me, I said it last week or the week before, if you can understand that and explain it well, you can preach next Sunday. Especially next Sunday because we're not going to be here. In fact, you feel free to preach anyway. Because we, don't, we can't even wrap our minds around that, but we serve a God who is not confined to time and space as we are in this temporary place that we are in. Our God understands the end from the beginning. And so the scripture says that he understood in his foreknowledge what it would take. In fact, whenever we look at the life of Christ, we look at, if you would go to Revelation 13 and 8, when it describes the slain lamb. When you hear the lamb, think about Jesus on the cross. This is the description. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's Jesus, whose names are not written in the book of, watch this, the Lamb slain from what? The foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world was ever laid, the Lamb was slain. Now, I had a friend, I love him dearly, but he recently was trying to understand my take on, on the fact that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Let me explain something to you that we believe at Stello Church. When you get to heaven, I want to make it very clear. I do not believe that you're going to see three thrones. I don't believe you're going to see the Father and the Son on the right hand and then the Spirit. I believe that there's one image of an invisible God and it fully dwells in Him bodily. Who is that? Jesus Christ. So the image, that doesn't mean that the Father ceases to exist or that the Son is not separate from the Father. We understand that there is a sonship and a mediatorial role that is happening, but we understand also that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now again, if you can fully explain that, I actually will let you preach two weeks from today. Because the Bible says that great is the mystery of godliness. Now we, that is, a, that is difficult. Again, we think in parameters of time and space and, and we move in a linear motion. God does not do that. So this, I had a friend that told me, he said, he said Devin, if, if Christ did not exist in bodily form, standing literally with God prior, all the way back in Genesis. So I don't believe that's how it looks. I don't believe that's the actual image that the scripture gives us. I believe that, that Christ exists in the foreknowledge of God, but until we get to the New Testament, that's when we see the bodily form of Christ that we can touch and we can feel. That's what made it such a revelation given. That's what Abraham and, and I could go through the patriarchs didn't have. That's why we're the most blessed people on the face of the planet. Some people say, I want to be like Noah. I want to be like Moses. I want to be like Abraham. I like this side of covenant. I like this side where I know about Jesus. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to be in the New Testament on the Jesus side of things, not trying to figure out. I, I get that name, and so I preached about that last week. If you want to hear more, you can go listen to that. So I'm not going to get hung up today. But he said, how in the world could he... Could, he, could Jesus say, I saw Satan fall like lightning if he did not exist in bodily form? And, and I said to him, very nicely, I said, well, tell me this. How could the lamb be slain before the foundations of the earth were ever laid? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he got mad at me, a little mad at me. He wasn't mad at me. He was a little mad at that. Because you've got to understand, I understand that that's difficult. But the, the cross 
literally took place, at least in, in Scripture. The Lamb was slain. Calvary was already in motion before God even breathed the, the earth or air into the nostrils of Adam. How, how did that take place? Because God doesn't, He's not a God of the plan B. He didn't figure out redemption afterwards. He understood. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Do you understand that God is so committed to you that before you were ever born, He already had the hair on your head numbered. He already knew what your name would be and he already had a redemption plan so that you could be saved. Can I just tell you, you're important to God. And he didn't have a plan B, he had a, a plan A. He had one plan. And he said, I'm so committed to my creation, to those that worship me, that I am going to robe myself in flesh. I'm going to step to where they're at, down from glory. I'm going to lay myself. Nevertheless, my will, don't let that be done in flesh, but let it be that there is the will of the Father that is accomplished. And what is that? That I will spread my arms wide. They will lift me up on Calvary. And I will bleed and die. And furthermore than any of the pain, of the cross physically I will bear their sins so that I can pay a price that they cannot pay for themselves what am I saying to you today is that God already had it in his foreknowledge that you were worth saving that I was worth saving and if God didn't have a plan B to save me but it was always part of his plan I don't want to show up here and give him a plan B if he's that committed to me I know that I could never in any way even compare to that, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give him my best. I'm going to give him my worship. I'm going to give him everything that I can. Let me tell you, I just believe that it is a slap in the face of God to show up and say, God, I'm committed unless you start preaching things I don't like. Jesus, I'm with you, but that eat my flesh and drink my blood stuff. And let me just take a side road here and remind you that Jesus was not speaking literally, but he was speaking spiritually. And isn't it funny that as soon as Jesus gets spiritual, people leave? And you want to know who's committed and who's not committed? Take all the physical stuff away. Take the meals away for a second. Take the free handout away for a second and start, start getting spiritual. You want to see who gets uncomfortable in a room? Get spiritual. Anybody ever had to apologize for being spiritual? Anybody ever started a sentence like this? I don't mean to be spiritual here. Well, God forbid you get spiritual. I'm sorry to be spiritual here. You know what that is? That we are so used to living in the natural and the physical that we actually find ourselves getting uncomfortable when we get spiritual around people that are carnal. Jesus, the moment he gets spiritual... Guess what happens? It rubs up against the carnality of people. And they start being exposed for the fact that they had a, bland, a plan B the whole time. They had an escape route. the whole. They had an exit door. And it was illuminated red. They knew exactly where they were going to go. They were going to run back home to their villages. Why? Because Jesus wasn't passing out bread anymore. Jesus wasn't breaking bread and fishes and saying, hey, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you everything that you need. No, he said, listen, I'm going to walk you through a wilderness. I'm going to walk you through a dry place. You're going to have to go through some things that you didn't think you were going to have to go through. And can I just tell everybody in this room, if you want to be a foundational family in a church, in the, in the, in the kingdom of God, can I just preach to you the only way that you become foundational? It is in Scripture 
typified over and over again. Even Jesus, he was driven into the wilderness before his ministry would ever officially launch. We see it with Moses. We see it over and again that if you want to be somebody strong and foundational, just get ready. There's going to be moments of wilderness. There's going to be some dry seasons that God puts you through. But the scripture says that in those dry seasons, you learn to not rely on yourself. But the Bible says that even there, the angels ministered to him in the wilderness. Can I tell you, the best blessing of a wilderness is that you learn to be ministered to by the spirit and the presence of God and not by people and things and the next handout of the church. I'm thankful for the programs. I'm thankful that we have life groups. I'm thankful that we have all the great things that we do. I'm thankful for the music. I'm thankful for this school. And God, am I thankful for the air conditioning this Sunday. Amen, somebody. But if you stripped it all away, I'm here to tell you, I'd still be here. If all we had was a storefront in the worst part of town, but God gave us a calling, we'd still be there. Because it's not based on the resources. It's not based on the things that we garner here in the physical. It is based on a spiritual calling of God. I've got no plan B. You understand that this is where you're supposed to be. You're doing exactly what God has called you to do. And can I just encourage somebody, if God didn't have a plan B, neither should you. You ought to throw that out and say, God, I'm getting rid of whatever I have to get rid of. I'm here. I believe you've called me to this moment. Woo. See, but you got to know whose you are. you got to understand. And can I tell you, man, I'm, I'm about to preach to somebody here right now. The Bible says, let's look, maybe your argument would be, yeah, but bro, those were the disciples, the 12. I, I don't really fall into that category. I mean, maybe Judas. But I, I'm definitely no Apostle Peter. I'm no Andrew. I'm definitely no John. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in the inner circle, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't even be the least of them. Okay. But guess what? They're not the only ones that displayed faith. Because what Jesus would find is people in desperation. And can I just tell you, you know who has no plan B? The people who can't afford a plan B. I can't afford a plan B. Some people in here, the reason you have a plan B is you have the affluence to have a plan B. You have the connections to have a plan B. I'm talking to me right now. I'm not, I promise you. I, I'm talking to the rich young ruler in the house. He said, did you just call yourself a rich young ruler? Absolutely. And so are you. We're in a nation of rich young rulers. We're in a nation where you can accomplish wealth and provision and all sorts of plaudits and popularity. Into your, all, just right as you reach 30 years of age, you can have a huge following. You can have money and resources. We are in a day and age where if you want to conquer it, you just about can. So we come to God as people who oftentimes can afford to have a plan B. But I look in scripture and there's a woman that I love so much. The scripture says that here in the book of Matthew chapter 15, we have a woman who noticed this. She's, she's not even Jewish. And at this point, it's not till Acts 9, you guys, where a Gentile receives the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost hasn't been poured out yet because the scripture says that he's not yet been glorified. He's not yet gone to the cross. And we have another Bible study about that later. But the Bible says that this woman, all she knows is that Jesus is a Savior. And she comes to him, 
And it says, Then Jesus went thence and departed to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away. She cries after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Son! Ah! Oh. I mean, the people that walked away when he said, Eat my flesh and drink my blood should have been here. He said, Woman, I only owe salvation. The bread of life to those that are of the covenant, the Jewish people. And you show up here, a Gentile, a half-breed, and you show up and you, you ask, this are, these are the words of Jesus, it is not meet for me to give what is the children's bread to a dog. And listen, we, we love dogs. They did not love dogs. It ain't like that. That was a slap in the face. And you would think that she would have stomped her foot, turned around, walked out and said, I gave it the best try I could. But here's the thing. She didn't have a plan B. She said, I'm desperate. I, I got one option, and it's the man, Jesus Christ, the Savior. And so she already had it figured out. She said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Ooh. And Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thou, even as thou wilt. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost right there. You see, somebody showed up into this room right now, and you feel like, well, I don't fall into the category of every other Christian, everybody else who was raised. I'm not a rich young ruler. I don't fall. I've done nothing but wrong. My family was wrong. I have issues. I have problems. I feel like nothing. This woman showed up here. Can I just tell you, you might actually have the best advantage today. Because if you don't get it right today, you don't have anything to go back to. You don't have any other answers. You don't have another doctor. You've, you've exhausted every resources that you can exhaust and you still feel the same way. You still have gone through. There's people in here that they want to give two or three more things a try before they actually give it over to Jesus. But there's some in here that say, no, I don't have a plan B. And can I just tell you, if you don't fall into that category, you don't have to try the two or three other things. I'm not saying that. But anybody that has the spirit of this woman. And what I want you to see is there's just a little itty-bitty five-letter word in verse 27 that makes all the difference in the world. It is a complete revelation. It's revelatory. It's game-changing. She says this in response to Jesus. And anybody who can get Jesus, she got him. She said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from there. There. Ooh, that's small. You wouldn't even catch it if you weren't paying attention. But notice, she said, but who owns the dogs? Yeah, you own the children too. They're your children. But you also own the dogs too. You're their master too. Come on. Think about it. You're their master too. You see, Jesus, I may not be, I, I may not be a child. I may just be a dog, but here's the thing. I'm your dog. You own me. How many knows if you don't want a dog, don't feed it, don't name it. 
Don't feed it, don't name it. It's going to keep showing up. And some of you, you just say, man, I, I, don't, I think I'm the least of these. Guess what? You're still his. Yeah, he's, he owns you. And she, he looks and he says, all right, I can get with that. Woman, let me tell you, whatever you need is yours today. Can I just tell you, you got to know whose you are. you got to understand who owns you. I don't care I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you're religiously affiliated or not. Can I just tell you, he even owns the atheists. They're still his children. He even owns those people that have themselves, they call themselves a completely different denomination. He owns those that are hooked on drugs. He owns those that are hooked on alcohol. He owns those that are the rich, the young, and the rulers. He owns everybody, but you got to know whose you are because I'm just here to tell you, if you can look at him and say, yeah, truth, Lord, but even, even the master's dogs, as long as I know whose I am, I can receive even just the smallest bit of fulfillment. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that the Holy Ghost has been spread abroad to all of us. It has been given to everybody. And so you got to understand today that this woman, she was just a little bit ahead of her time. But there was coming a day where the plan A of God, not the plan B, the primary ideal that was always there would happen and be poured out. And that is when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the Gentiles. And it was not Greek or Jew or Gentile. We are all one people. I'm here to tell you, if you know whose you are today, You'll just get rid of the plan B because it doesn't matter how destitute or broken you might be. I know who owns me. So even if I lose my life, I get to see my master face to face. I get to see Jesus face to face. You ought to take the plan B in your life and realize that no matter what happens, the plan B is not worth it. I don't want to leave. I don't want to run away because Jesus has me. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. If you feel that, would you put your hands together? Stand to your feet all over this place. I feel the presence of God in this room. Can I tell you, there's a little moment when you're flying on a transcontinental flight, Atlantic, whatever it is. That's the only one I've flown is across the Atlantic Ocean. Where you hit a point, hear me right now. You hit a point in the flight and the captain comes on and he says something so ominous. He says, folks... Folks, this is your captain speaking. We have just reached the point of no return. The point of no return. You know what that means, literally? It means you don't have enough fuel to get back where you came from. You literally don't have the choice of going back. Because if you went back, you wouldn't even be able to make it because you've crossed the threshold where if you don't keep moving forward, you're going to die on the way back. And can I tell you that there's some people that you've already crossed over the point of no return. The moment that you, man, I feel the Holy Ghost here. I'm just encouraging you. Don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that there's any plan B or any way to go back. You will end up in brokenness, in pain, in shame. And even if it is that physically you're in the best place that you've ever been, maybe it is that you end up having the best job and the most money. You will lay in bed at night and you will wonder, God, where am I? And I'm not telling you that God won't run to you wherever you're at, but you just listen to me. There is nothing like living a life that is fully committed, that is on on its way to a destination that only God himself can point to and can give you. And so you just listen. You have crossed the point 
of no return. It's amazing. I, I look in 1519, maybe you've heard the story. Captain Cortez, he landed in Veracruz and he did something extreme. You've heard the story, haven't you? He looked at his crew and he said these words, burn the ships because there's no going back. Burn the ships, get rid of them because as long as they're there, there's going to be a temptation for us to get back on them and go across the same ocean that we came here on. But no, we're not going to do that. We're going to burn the ships. Can I, I'm just preaching to somebody right now. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. That God is telling you, would you take that plan B out of your pocket? And would you put it on an altar and say, God, I'm not going back to that relationship. I'm not going back to that same place. I'm not going back to that person. I'm not going back to that old way. I'm getting rid of it. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get rid of that sin. If it's the phone in your pocket, if you can't handle the temptation, you're going to put the accountability software on it. Men, ladies alike, whoever it might be. Or you're just going to get rid of it if you have to get rid of it. It's worth burning if you can't handle it. You're going to get rid of that old ideology. You're going to get rid of that relationship that drives you in the wrong direction. And you're going to burn whatever you've got to burn to say, God, I'm fully committed. I'm committed to your will and to your way. Can I just challenge somebody in this room right now? I'm wondering, why would you wait to join a team at Stello Church? Is it because you know that if you join a team or if you lead that life group or if you get in that baptismal tank which has your name on it today and get baptized in the name of Jesus, it will just deeply entrench you into what you know God is already calling you to? Or would it be that you would shake off inhibition and say, God, I know it's not my flesh telling me to do that, and I know it's not the devil telling me to do that, so there's really only one more option. You are telling me to go deeper and to commit more, and so, Lord, I'm going to commit like I've never committed before. I feel God's Spirit prompting somebody in this room right now. Would you just burn the old? Would you get rid of the old and say, I've already crossed over the threshold. I'm past the point of no return. I want if there's some families in this room that maybe the enemy has been trying to beat you up lately and tell you it wasn't worth it. You're never going to be able to make it. I wonder if you could grab your spouse's hand and if you could walk up to an altar right now and say, no, we're not going to listen to the voice of the enemy. We've already crossed over the threshold. God has already called us. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, if you called us, we're going to keep walking. We're going to do the hard thing if that's what it takes. We're going to listen to the voice of God. Is there somebody in this room that would step up to an altar today and say yes to the will of God? Is there somebody today that would begin to step out of that place that you're in and come up to a place of commitment and say, we're going to be saved. I'm going to make it. I know whose I am. I may be destitute. I may be broken. But God, in the name of Jesus, I'm opening up my life to your